Join Greenbook at the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange Conference Series. IIEX is your global hub for connections, inspiration, and innovative solutions in market research. Visit greenbook.org events to learn more about events in Asia, the Americas, and Europe. Use the code PODCAST for 20% off general admission on all upcoming events. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Green Book Podcast. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day to spend it with us. And now I'm a broken record. I always say the same thing. But by us, it means that I do have a guest. And all of my guests are special and wonderful, and we love them. Sometimes we're lucky enough that we have somebody that has played a pivotal role in my life, my professional and personal life. And today is one of those days. One of the people that I consider a mentor. I consider to be just an amazing font of knowledge and wisdom and information in the industry and in life itself. And I see that he's probably blushing just, you know, a little bit, but <laughs> so without further ado, actually, I was thinking I'd like it if my wife could have been listening. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean, Larry. <laughs> so Larry Friedman, Larry, welcome to the Greenbook podcast. Pleasure to be here and talking to you, Lenny. It always has been, always will be. And I very appreciate the things you've said. Well, thank you, sir. You are a gentleman. Now, for those who don't know you the way that I know you, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your background so they understand why I'm offering such effusive praise overall. Okay. Well, I mean, it's now nearly, actually, you can say it's about 50 years since I've been a researcher. I got a PhD in social psychology from Columbia University in the 70s. And then I did a little work in, in pharmaceutical research, basic research, psychiatric research. And then I decided I needed to go make a living. So I wound up in market research because I thought it was similar to what I was doing and would provide a living for me. And I was lucky enough to get a job with what was then the General Foods Corporation, which no longer exists. But some of you may remember it as the maker of Maxwell House and Sanka and Post Cereals and all sorts of other things that are now dispersed out in the world there. But at one time, GF was a real market research university. I mean, it's kind of hard to imagine, but there were 270 people in the market research department when I joined them. There are now probably 10 people doing about the same thing. But it was a university, and they took it very seriously. They really trained people, and they really saw it as a role to develop new methodologies and techniques for the industry, and to sort of help train up the industry as a whole. So it was a very valuable time to have spent there. I then left there after a few years and went on the supplier side, where I worked for one of the companies I worked for was a company called Decision Center, which was one of the largest market research suppliers in New York City, and eventually became the uh, New York Office of Research International. Um, I worked for, for a couple of other smaller companies. I did my own thing for a while. And then a sort of a pivotal thing, I joined a, what was considered a mid-sized market research company in glorious Teaneck, New Jersey, called Ross Cooper Lund Associates. And 
then sort of lived through the transformation of the industry through the 90s and the 2000s. That was when I joined it in 1990, a 20-person, $3 million company, and that was considered mid-size, you know, owned by a couple of guys. And then that grew, and then in the late 90s, that was bought up by NFO, and then went on that journey where NFO was bought up by Interpublic, sold by Interpublic to TNS. TNS was bought by WPP. So over a, and I spent my time there until about 2015. So I have a 25 year credit with Cantar, but I started off in the same, you know, little company and it wound up getting bought and sold and bought and sold. And I saw all the things that were good and bad about that and joined eventually without changing jobs. I went from a small company to one of the largest companies in the world. So I went along on that journey. I had many roles. I had global roles. I was global leader for brand and advertising research for a few years. I ran a U.S. division, helped grow that, doubled the size of it actually in a few years. And then eventually I became the chief research officer for North America, for TNS, until I retired from what I refer to as full-time wage slavery. Now it's almost eight years, and I've been doing some consulting for friends ever since. Um, I've maintained my association with the industry. I love to go to conferences. I write a little bit. I ask hard questions at conferences. It's kind of fun. I keep my hand in. Yes, you do. And you serve a pivotal role in keeping us honest in thinking about you know, our, our roots and our history and our foundation of what makes good research while also, you know, clearly looking at the future. And that's why I wanted to have you on as a guest so we could kind of have that perspective. And you also, and let's, let's give that the, the shout out that for uh, quite some time, or at least a, what, a year or two, something like that. Yeah, it was a couple of years. I, you know, I, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, you, you were the editor of Grim Blog, so you assumed that role when I got pulled into other directions and... And we worked really closely together in that. Uh, you participate in GRIT, other studies that we've done. So uh, so for our audience, I mean, Larry and I have worked together for you know, closely within Green Book while also having, you know, certainly knowing him from afar through his role as Chief Research Officer at TNS and Industry Influencer. And I'm still on the Green Book board, so when he has to be nice to me. And still, <laughs> yes, although uh, I would do that anyway, so... <laughs> audience, Larry is a legend, right? We are, we are lucky that we stand on the shoulders of giants and you've just been one of those giants and we're blessed to still have you around and, and uh, actively participating. Other people get sick of this and go, oh, I don't have anything to do with research anymore. I'm done. I'm retired, but you're a glutton well, you for know, punishment. You see, you see, the thing is, and you know, I've been thinking about this lately and anticipating our conversation today. I didn't, I mean, this was a way for obviously for me to make a living. I mean, let's, let's be honest about that. But I've always been interested in why people do the things they do. That's why I got a graduate degree in, in psychology and I got my PhD. So this is just a continuation of a lifelong passion for me. So I continually are interested, continuously am interested in why people do the things they do. And I've always viewed myself as a research scientist, even when I was in business. I mean, I was trained to think about problems scientifically. And, and as I think about where the industry is now and where it's headed, 
I think that mentality is even more crucial than it's ever been. I love that. And that's a great segue, right? So you and I, you know, chatted about this and let me frame up for the audience, kind of my thinking, and then you react to it. You know, the, the trend line for years has been that technology impacts the who, what, when, where, and how of data, right? That informs the research process. Throughout the years, we had to do more active things to acquire that information. And as technology has progressed, that's become easier and easier to the point where often the skills to know how to acquire that information accurately is now to a great extent supplanted by technology that can do that for us across a variety of data sources. Now, that's not a blanket statement. There's certainly niche opportunities, et cetera. I'm not, I'm not saying that there's no need for researchers, but I think a huge chunk of what we did has now been compromised or taken over by technology, which leaves us to the two big questions that are always at the end result of the research process, which is why and now what? And I think I would agree with you that that focus of why and now what is really what's going to drive us forward as an industry from a financial standpoint, from an impact standpoint, and process where you have to rethink our processes because of the merger of technology with understanding humans and giving good recommendations. So that's my tee up on where I think we are at this point. What do you think? Well, see, I would, I would actually take it you know, a step further. But before you step further, I think you need to step back a second. I think it's very natural for us to, to sort of, you know, I do a lot of navel gazing. You know, we, we're looking at our small corner of the business world and you know we focus in on that but what the industry has been dealing with is just one part of the larger digital transformation of business you know business is no longer analog it is digital and as part of that digitalization of business business now has access to consumers and interacts with consumers in ways that they never could have before. Everything that happens online, for instance, and that leaves a trail, the trail of data, trail of information. And it is using that information to solve business problems that is really the focus of a lot of activity within corporations. How do you organize it? How do you prevent the siloization of it? How do you make sure it is exchanged across the company? And then what else do you need to sort of fill in, you know, along with that? One of the things I, I wrote this about seven or eight years ago for a conference of corporate researchers to, to try to get, be a little provocative, which I, as you know, I love to do. And I said that insights is no longer the job of a department. It is the job of the corporation to use all the different sources of information that are now widely available to solve business problems. So does that mean that the Department of Insights is now the department, or becoming the department of some kinds of insights based on some kinds of data? And I think that dealing with that has been a big part of what the challenge of the industry has been and continues to be. 
You know, the data are not, as you said, the data are not rare anymore. You know, the industry was started to get data and then maybe do some different things with it. So the skill set to, to integrate various kinds of information, to work in teams across multiple functions, to solve issues, I mean, these teams could be temporary, they could be more permanent. You know, it's not a separate silo of data and, and insights of some sort anymore. So how you actually achieve that, I think, is a real corporate struggle for some people, for many companies. And therefore, it becomes a challenge to those who, what we used to refer to as the supplier side of the industry, where we're trying to work with people and companies to solve, help them solve those business issues. And in what way? And it used to be fairly straightforward. We help you acquire the data, and then we would help you analyze it, you know, work together in some way or varying percentages, you know, that sort of deriving, understanding, and then what it means for the business. Now it's very different. I mean, marketers don't necessarily need a department of insights to go do a survey if they need that. They've learned in business school how to use Qualtrics. So what do they need you for? They have learned a lot about how to use social media data. They've learned how to use Google search, you know, how to analyze all that kind of stuff. And they may have varying people in other parts of the company who can help them with that as they try to solve a particular issue that they're working on. So what does that mean for the industry? You know, the, the value add part, I mean, we've talked about this a lot. You know, you've got technology, you know, how do you do things better, you know, hopefully better, but faster and cheaper. At what point do you run into diminishing returns on that? You know, it's one thing to, for a study to go from when I started out, you know, eight weeks now to, you know, a day. You still have a few hours to analyze the data. <laughs> Just a few. Yeah, but it took seven weeks and four days and six hours to do the operational part, you know, so you can get a couple of hours to figure out what it means. Yep, agreed. One of them says an eloquent way to put that trend together. And now, yeah, I think, see if you agree with this, I think we, if we look at the chart of, of history, the trend line of history in the research, you know, there's been specific points where we saw massive transformation, generally technologically driven, you know, from face-to-face, door-to-door to, to telephone, yeah, telephone to web. And I saw all that and, you know, and I saw all the arguments that took place. I and mean, when I started in market research, we would still do door-to-door for certain kinds of big, important studies. Which is still done in other countries as well. So let's acknowledge we're, we're not talking about archaic things. That there is all of these tools still exist and are still absolutely in use. It's they're just more specialized now based on the business issue, which is what it should always that should always be the, in my mind the deciding factor, fit for purpose, right? But now we're coming into another era of evolutionary disruption, and that is how I say it. all of this is connected. None of this has been kind of black swan. It's it's logical of here's what we expected things to get to. And now we're in the era of generative AI, and you know it's the topic of du jour. But it's it's important, at least in my mind, from the standpoint of you know technology creates efficiencies, 
This is a whole other level of efficiency that is being created from a process standpoint. And it really, it, but it's more than process because it's understanding information in a way that was very different than even a few months ago and how we would automate charts and graphs and those type of things. Right, well, it's pretty easy to do that. Now we're automating narratives. We're automating storytelling. We're automating synthesis of information. So it's another one of those times that as effectively the, the research industry is part of the, the knowledge worker category, right, at a big level. And this is a technology that inherently impacts knowledge. And we have to adapt again. And I have no doubt that we will and that we will continue to find ways to add value. But if you had to think about, because I know you've been watching this as well and, and kind of, you know, paying attention to what, what, what the hell does this mean? Well, what the hell does it mean? What do you think? <laughs> you know, what, what's that next, our adaptation to this new evolutionary era? What does that look like from your perspective? Well, it's hard to say right now. I mean, certainly, I mean, there is a huge amount of experimentation going on. And I think that's great. I mean, we should be experimenting with these kinds of technologies. And I've seen how they can be enormously helpful. I mean, one of the companies that I consult for is, as you know, is Conversion, which does, you know, analytics on social media data. And through the use of, of AI can, can do some really powerful analytics that were difficult to do before AI let's call it, and can be used as predictive models. So I've seen the power of what you can do with AI. One of the things, though, that I get concerned about, especially in the short term, and it sort of goes back to something I was saying earlier, that you have to approach it as a scientist. That is, you have to really think about it critically. And you've got to, there's going to be a flurry of activity with releases of products, oh, you know, this is based on, you know, chat GBT, you know, whatever, and, you know, there was some other kind of large language model, and it's now even better than, than it ever was. What I would do to anybody who came to me, you know, with pitches like that for anything, I would say prove it. You know, I think we need to be approaching this given the power that's there potentially, almost as if we were the FDA and a pharmaceutical manufacturer was saying, we've got this great new drug that we've been testing and it's for you know this disease that solves these symptoms. We want your blessing. Well, there's two things that they've got to prove. One is efficacy, that it actually works you know, the way they say it's going to work. And B, what are the side effects? And is the trade-off between the side effects and the, the efficacy worth it? And that decision has to be made before something is released out in, into the world. Well, we have no FDA, you know, in the, in the world of market research. So there isn't a government that, you know, body that you can rely on. So I think it's why you need that kind of scientific mentality. If somebody came to me and say, I've got this great AI system that, you know, you just feed in a whole bunch of spreadsheets. And it gives you the analysis automatically summarized. I would want to see proof that it works. You know, we've already seen examples of how weird it can sometimes get. So when does that happen? How often does it happen? So I think that here's what I'm afraid of if we don't do it. 
is that there's going to be a lot of stuff thrown out into the world and it's going to wind up discrediting, you know, the entire effort. You know, there's too much BS. People are going to say, throw up their hands. There's too much BS. We can't believe any of this. I agree with you 100%. And let me give you an anecdote that was last week. A colleague who's been exploring these solutions, and we'll won't name names, but they'll know who they are when they're listening. They had done a large segmentation study in a previous life, right, for a, a client. And they thought, I wonder if I could duplicate that only using prompts in ChatGPT. And long story short, they did. So th this was a half a million dollars, six month, you know, major strategic project that they got to the same outcome you know, which was effectively, you know, a segmentation of this population solely using prompts uh, in a series of prompts and, dis and discussion with the open version, right, of ChatGPT. And they shared that with me, and, and I had two thoughts. First was, holy crap. And the other was, well, wait a minute. You know, it's like good holy crap and bad holy crap at the same time, right? So I get what you did. I see it. I see the possibility, and that, that is amazing. Here's my concern. To your point, if I was in charge of this project, I would absolutely embrace the idea of, can we utilize this tool to do secondary research to fill in knowledge holes so that the true research can be far more focused? Yeah, that, that, that's great. But I'm going to want to validate the findings here. One way or the other. So let's make sure because of the hallucination and yada, 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 right? All those things. So that took me to thinking about, so where does this fit in today? If I was building a research company today or a research organization today, suddenly secondary research would become far more important within the organization. And I would include in that knowledge management, right? Okay, can we unlock utilizing existing data sources whether they're within the enterprise or in the wild, to now easily find information that exists, pull that together so we don't have to go out asking so many questions, right? Like, yeah, I think that becomes hugely important, right? We can now leverage existing information and create and achieve economies of scale on that in ways that were truly unthinkable a few months ago. This is something that's been talked about for 10, 12 years or so, or the desire to do something like this. Yeah, it was the promise of big data. You know, and, and, it relates, and it relates to what I said. There's all this information. Pulling it together has been very difficult. And part of that is because it's not been issue-driven. It's been technology-driven, you know, and, and therefore it loses focus, and it's difficult to do. But be that as it may, this is something that's been discussed. So can this technology improve our ability to do that, make use of all the information that's around, make use of tons of information in surveys that are not used, and help us get to a certain place in that, let's call it, process? And then anything else we do can be built on top of that. I have a fear about that which is that we're only going to do the first part and not do the second part. One of the things I've seen with every technology innovation that we've, we've discussed, or when I've seen 
let's call it early and crude versions of AI type things where reports are templated. I mean, we've been trying to do this for years and years. You know, there are companies that would have very templated reporting structures. So you can use junior people to just fill in the blanks, basically. And I've seen that with other similar kinds of efforts where it's very heavily templated. And then you may have some software that can help you with that. It's always discussed as being something that is like a first step. You know, it saves you a lot of time and a lot of effort. And then you can spend your time, you know, taking it, you know, a step further and really adding value. But a lot of the time, people don't bother doing that. They just work with the template and send that out. And that's the report. So how do we prevent that? That's a real worry of mine that not going to go through that next step. I share that. This is where we get into the economic components of the industry, right? Um, I mean, the scale, the, the large companies are effectively production houses, right? And certainly in the era now uh, where the technology companies dominate, if not revenue, certainly valuation, right? And where the money flows for additional investment. Those are process-oriented. The, these technology companies, are they are inherently about production. That is the goal. So this tension between, we'll, we'll just bucket it all's process, right? Of companies that address process issues within collecting, analyzing, and distributing information may or may not be connected to the process of understanding the right questions to ask, understanding the business implications of the answers, which are inherently human elements. But the money's going to keep flowing to the production because they can scale. For those who don't listen, here's the secret. If you're not aware of this, the more human-centric it is, the less scalable it is, the less investable it is. That's just the way it works. And it's always been that way. Yes, always. That is the nature of the investment economy globally. It has always been that way. In terms of what that means, though, for the future, I see two things, two possibilities. One is that added value becomes part of what the people inside corporations, you know, the teams working on those business issues are the ones who then do that. Which would not be good news for the supplier community. No, it's not. And the other one would be even worse. Question I've asked myself and I ask other people lately is, why does it now have to be researchers who do this? This is the job of the consultants who can charge a lot of money. That added value point. You know, you've got the technology-driven companies, research companies, let's call it, who are there, whether they're pulling the data, you know, they're using you know, these AI systems to help clients extract all these different kinds of information and analyze, do what your friend or colleague did there. Maybe it's now the consultants who have the real skill set to take that one step further because it's never been a strength of the research companies. So you and I collaborated quite a bit in defining 
the Green Book's own proprietary market uh, segmentation model and how we incorporate that into GRIT, and particularly on the idea of strategic consultancies. And remember, we first started asking questions in the way to differentiate between market research companies and strategic consultancies and how often we saw the engagement levels with those companies you know, the McKinsey's and Bain's and those guys of the world, <laughs> we didn't hear the full service companies being mentioned in the same breath very often, right? Now, I had the privilege of going to an internal event for P&G a week or so ago, and there was a presentation there. I don't want to steal their thunder, so I won't go into details here, but that presentation is going to happen on the podcast at some point in the future. But a company, a, a very large company in the research industry did analysis of, of their kind of internal trends around project types, et cetera, et cetera, right? And they also shared that they have seen a big shift in their client type and that one of their biggest buyer segments is now strategy consultancies followed by agencies, by uh, you know, marketing agencies, ad agencies, not research suppliers. And this is a company that you would think of as kind of a field services company inherently, right? I mean, the, the probably 90% of their client base, or well, not that much, but certainly a huge chunk of their client base is research companies. And that composition is changing now where they still have the research companies, but now they, to your point, they have this whole other buyer group. So I think that we are heading in that direction. There has been evidence for years we were heading in that direction. And I think you're going to see that accelerate. I think that that's the one thing that I see, you know, happening. So it's hard to see where the research, you know, the large research companies, where they go at this point, unless they've got some real added value that they could bring to the table, which could be knowledge of some specific sectors. There could be, you know, certain kinds of research technically or beyond you know, the consultancies. So, so unless they've got something that they can uniquely bring to the table, this sort of regular analysis that was the bread and butter for full service market research companies, I think a lot of that has the potential to go away and fairly rapidly, depending upon how well some of these things with AI actually prove out. The other component I would add to that is that, you know, would be, you know, specialization niche business issue or sector specialization or what I call data currency, Miller Brown, Nielsen, IRI, right? I mean, these, you know, these standards, these, these normative databases that are highly, that within organizations really function as currency. What's our Nielsen rating, right? It's kind of the, the typical example. Well, all that is changing rapidly. It, too. Yes, it is because people don't want to be held captive and they're looking at different different solutions now. So do you envision, just hypothetically, right, just throwing out names, a, do you think we'll see, you know, McKinsey by Ipsos, right, that type of, of mashup? I don't see why they would want to. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. No, now, I, just I, hypothetical, I, Ipsos folks, we're not saying anything bad about you, you just no, uh, hypothetically. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, you could have said the same thing about any company. Right, right. I mean, if anything, you know, maybe they would buy, I mean, Qualtrics is out there again, you know, you know, or, or Zappy or somebody else, you know. I mean, if they had the technology platform to build on, that might be interesting for them, but maybe not. You know, I don't see why they would want to buy, uh, you know, a large full service market research company. 
And I have a lot of respect for Ipsos and, and all that. I mean, they do, I have a lot of friends there. So I've, it's certainly nothing about them specifically. I'm just thinking about the category. Right. Yeah, as an example. Well, and here's another wrinkle we've talked about for years and, and thought we would see it happen. And now we are, which is a brand that we would think of who has a tremendous amount of data assets. They have a large audience. They have access to lots of information. Now launching direct bespoke research solutions and acquiring. So, I mean, I'm aware of, of companies sniffing around, you know, companies we would think of as brands, sniffing around to acquire research technology companies, not service companies, but technology companies to incorporate into what is a, both an, an internal customer focused solution as well as an external solution. We've seen hints of that over the years, but there are multiple very large, 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 especially retailers that all seem to be moving in that direction or sending pretty strong signals. Of doing Absolutely. That. I mean, you know, when you talk about Walmart, you're talking about Amazon, you're talking about Target. I mean, these companies know an awful lot about people who shop there. And that information is really valuable to Tide you know, or any of these other brands. So sure, I could, you know, see that as, as a possibility too. See, I think, I mean, one of the things I've been, I was thinking about over the last few days, anticipation of our, of our conversation, I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, I think the client side is going to be much more interesting in the future than the supplier side. Because the ability to do all these things we've been discussing, integrate different kinds of information, focus on business issues. You could probably have a lot more impact there than you could on the supplier side. So as we think about examples of brands that have very, because this isn't a new concept, right? There are, there are brands who have basically internal research operations within the organization. So 3M comes to mind, uh, Novartis, I mean, heck, even P&G. I started off that way. I mean, when I was at General Foods, they had, I was part of it. That was part of the training. You work for their internal supplier. Yeah. I mean, all the signs are there during that as well. My only question then, and maybe this is the role of this, the strategy consultancies, is when I want to get that strong second opinion, right, of, to make sure that they're not drinking their own Kool-Aid, so to speak, and introduce bias. You and I, an audience, Larry and I can go off for a long time talking about this stuff. We've, we've had lengthy hours and hours, long conversations. I want to be conscious of our time and what our listeners can put up with. So we, we started out thinking about the industry shifting to answering the question, why and now what? And we've kind of gone through all of the, the factors that kind of drive us there, including some of the, the potential downsides. But I want to leave people with this thought of, oh, man, we're in trouble. <laughs> because the future for the insights, for, for insights as a business imperative has never been brighter. How that's executed on and the business dynamics of that, I think, are very much in flux as we've been talking about. But what's the thing that gets you excited and hopeful when you think, you know what? To your point, you entered into this because you wanted to understand people and to put that to practical use to make a living. So what's the future look like from more of a positive and optimistic perspective from that lens? Well, I think 
a lot of the limitations that I had to deal with early in my career, or constraints rather, and a lot of all these things we've been talking about, take a lot of those constraints away. You know, it used to be that you couldn't really use old data together with new data to address a problem because research companies made their money on collecting new data and doing stuff with it. You were discouraged from reanalyzing even, you know, the, the new data on a survey that you just did. If you thought, gee, you know, maybe if I break the data this way instead of that other way, I could learn a lot more. You were discouraged from doing that because it took time and cost money because it was expensive in ancient times to reanalyze data. Now you can do it. You can grab other kinds of information easily and pull it together to build a case for why a decision should be made. So all those things about being a scientist that were difficult to do and frustrating for me early in my career, you can now go do. I think you could do a much better job now of addressing business problems than you could when I entered this business. And the skill set that you have as a scientist, because I was trained to be a research scientist, it's all those things we talk about, being your critical thinking, analytic skills. I had to hide some of that, as weird as it may sound, because if you had statistical skills, you were at risk of being, well, you're one of the propeller heads we're going to put into the back room. <laughs> I'm serious. Now, it's a benefit. I mean, I was at a business conference, you know, a few weeks ago, and they were talking about how marketers now need to know how to code. You know, so all those kinds of technical skills and sort of ways of approaching problems that I learned getting my PhD now and were sort of viewed sort of sideways in, my, in the early days of my career now is a benefit. So if you have those kinds of mindsets, if you've got those good technical skills and you've got imagination and creativity and curiosity, all those things you read about, lists of new skills, you know, lists of skills for the future, you can now do. You can now exploit all those talents and skills and solve business problems in ways that couldn't do before. That is a great point. So if there was a, God help us, a young Larry Friedman getting out of graduate school, could have a better career now than what I had. And then I, I, you know, I had a good career, but you could do even more now. But as you said, Lenny, you know, the structures are going to be different. What a research community is like, whether it's within a large organization, like a P&G or whatever, or in these things we used to think of as research suppliers and research companies, all that's going to change from what it's historically been. But the area, I think you could have a great career. Good. Thank you. That's a good way to end. I hear something about change, right? It, it, it is inevitable, right? Death, taxes, and change. We ride the waves. And I personally, what I try and instill on kids or anybody else that I have the opportunity to mentor, quote unquote, in some way or shape or form is, you know, Work hard, learn all that you can, 
and be a good person and good things happen. And I think fundamentally, it really just kind of comes down to that. Uh, and uh, we summarize those things, learn the skills that you need to be able to make a positive impact in the world. And, you know, we can ride the changes. So hopefully that'll play out. Yeah, well, I think it's more than just riding the changes. I think they could be exploited in a way that are good for people, you know, in whatever, however you want to call this industry, as well as certainly for the brands and companies that we do all this for. Yeah. All right. Larry, it is always an honor and a privilege and a pleasure to, uh, to well, talk. Thank you. It's always fun. We'll talk. And uh, for people listening, I look forward to speaking to people at IIEX. I'll be there. <laughs> yes, you will. And it's fantastic. So want to give a big shout out to our producer, Natalie. Without her, none of this would happen. She works her magic every single day to pull all of this together. So thank you, Natalie. Our editor, James Carlisle, uh, who also works his magic to make all of these sound better than they usually are done when we're coordinate, of course, to our sponsors. And our listeners, because without you, Larry and I would just be BSing together, which would be a lot of fun, but, you know, it wouldn't be nearly as impactful because hopefully you're getting something out of this. So that's it for this edition of the Greenfoot Podcast. Thank you so much, and we will talk to you again very soon. Bye-bye. Join Greenbook for the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange. This global conference series, also known as IIEX, is where connections are made, inspiration is found, and innovative solutions are discovered. With more than 90% of attendees using IIEX Insights to shape strategic business decisions, the return on investment is undeniable. Whether you're in Asia-Pacific, North America, Europe, or Latin America, IIEX is your gateway to the latest market research best practices, tech innovation, and strategies for transforming insights into action. Nurture your career and business with insights from across the globe. And here's a bonus. Use the special code PODCAST to save 20% on general admission for all IIEX events. Visit greenbook.org events today to learn more and register. See you there.